Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This psalm is a, an acrostic, an alphabetical acrostic, if you haven't noticed. Um, one letter is missing. We'll discuss that in just a minute. There are a number of psalms and other books and, and other pieces of other books that are acrostic in the Bible. Um, one of them that I use every Friday night and where the acrostic helped me memorize it is Eshet Chayel, Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. So that was a good one. <clears throat> Those of you who are in shul on Tisha B'Av know that the first four chapters of the book of Echa are alphabetic acrostics. So that, you know, it is not a, it's not widely used, but it is used. And very often it was used for purposes of uh, memorizing, but often it was also used for poetic purposes. So anyway, in terms of the Psalms, so Psalm 25 has a somewhat jumbled uh, acrostic, complete, but jumbled in some instances. 34 hours has one letter missing. Psalm 37 is uneven in places. Psalm 111 is complete. Psalm 112 is complete. Psalm 119 is complete. And 145 is another one with one letter missing. So these are the Psalms that have acrostics. Okay, now Psalms 34... 119 and 145 are in the Jewish tradition the three most well-known psalms that are alphabetic acrostics. As noted, 119 is a complete acrostic, and it is also the longest psalm and the longest chapter in the Bible. It has 176 verses. That is... 22, remember, there are 22 letters to the Hebrew alphabet, and the, the verses in core are, are blocks of eight verses per letter. So do the math. Eight times 22 is 176. So that is Psalm 119. Psalm 34 and 145, as noted, are 21. Uh, they have 21 letters and 21 verses. Actually, no, that's not correct. But the acrostic is 21 verses. And both of them lack one letter. Um, the Vav is missing in 34, and the Nun is missing in 145. Interesting to note that um, the Dead Sea Scroll version of Psalm 145 has a Nun. Apparently, they were not were uncomfortable with <laughs> a letter. Okay, now there, the one thing that we will see here, and we'll get to it in greater detail, is that actually Psalm thirty-four, <clears throat> and I'm not mistaken, also one forty-five, um, are are divisible into three sets of seven each. And it appears that that structure 
is what guided the use of the 21 number rather than 22. Why this verse misses above, why 145 misses of Nun, nobody knows. Rick. Rebbe, you got to tell us what the Nun is. I've always hated the Ashray doesn't have a Nun. What's the Nun verse? Oh, you know it? uh, Hold on. In the Dead Sea Scroll? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, wait, I'm trying to think. Can I remember? Nun was it Nahon? I didn't even know it existed. Oh Ne'eman. my God. Neeman. Yes. It's Neeman, faithful. Uh huh. Any more? Any more of it? <laughs> no, that's it. Neeman okay. God is Something, something. Okay. Us. Okay. I'm gonna try to find that. I didn't even know that it existed. Oh my God. Yes. I'll try to find it. Right. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Now, Thank you. You're welcome. So, um, uh, so this Psalm actually, Psalm 34 has 23 verses. Um, it has an introduction, um, that is beyond, outside of the acrostic and it has a conclusion that's outside of the acrostic. So those ec- two extra verses, Make it, and this is in the Torah, in the in the Bible itself. All right, <clears throat> the Ashrei is twenty-one verses, but when we have it in our Siddur, it has twenty-four verses because the liter the liturgists added two verses at the beginning and one verse at the end. And my theory on those verses is Psalm one forty-five is totally universal. There is no specific mention by name to Israel, to Yehudim wouldn't be used, but to Yisrael, Amcha, Am Yisrael, Beit Yaakov, whatever. All the different names, or let's say none, of the different names for our people are mentioned. And if anything, there is clearly an emphasis that God is the creator and the caretaker of all creatures. Okay? Think of the the most important line <clears throat> traditionally is the pay, poteach et yadecha, that, That's a rabbinic emphasis. What does it mean? You open your hands. And you meet the needs, the the want of all creatures. And that's the point of all creatures. So the verses that were added on, either explicitly or quite implicitly, allude to or refer to Am Yisrael. Mike, your hand is up. Yes. And when it says all creatures, does that, that mean animals as well as humans? Presumably, it says Kol Chai. That's a very broad concept. Okay. I think back, back racks, back racks, mute or stop talking. We can hear you. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So that's by way of background. Now, Psalm 34. So 
there, the unifying theme of Psalm 34 would be something like this. And these are my words. Life's challenges exist and evil is present. But in the end, if we choose goodness, God, who is good, will help us overcome the evil and bless us with the good. Okay? As you will hear, it's big PR for Hashem. Yeah. Big PR for Hashem. All right? And we'll see. But it also is big PR for interacting with God proactively. We'll see. Very. That's one of the very interesting features of it. Tybal. Um, so earlier in the day, a different rabbi, and I was just so struck by what you just said, showed us a clip of, I think her name is Hadass Lowenstein, and she's the widow of um, someone who was um, killed in Gaza while fighting. And the way she talks about remembering her spouse and what he stood for and how what they're going to choose and how they live their lives. She must be someone who must have read this psalm over and over and has totally internalized it. Oh, if, anyone else, if anyone else has heard her talking, she's notable because she has a head covering that looks so heavy. I, with a neck injury, always wonder how she can keep it on her head if anybody has seen um seen this particular Israeli woman anyway. All right. I just was about to say some people it really does work for. Yeah, no, I mean, yes, I'm sure. Yes. Uh I mean as an aside, um we uh we were uh, some of you remember years ago we had a uh an ongoing um, relationship with an African-American church. And then in one of our last meetings, um, the pastor who, who just recently had been divorced, and it was a wrenching experience for him, um, mentioned that, it's, I forgot which psalm it was, but one of the psalms, he said, kept him going during that very, very... Uh, trying experience. So yes, there are people who really find deep meaning in the Psalms and it touches their souls, indeed. All right. So so just to continue our, the introduction, so the first segment uh, talks about challenges to the anav or ani, the lowly, downtrodden person, and refers to the fact that God will save these pe these people. We'll see, but we'll look at the Hebrew in that regard. There's also mention to God-fearers, and I think later on we'll explain why that's there. Yireh Hashem, people who fear God. But the clear, immediate audience for the speaker or the author of the psalm in this segment are, are the an anavim, as it's used, with above. Not it's not that's not grapes with a vet, anavim with a vav, anav aish Moshe anav maod. Moses was the most humble person. Okay, so here the translators use the word <clears throat> lowly, lowly. Okay, doesn't specify what that means, but there are people who are down, down and out sort of types. Okay, all right. 
The second segment speaks of a solution, which is expressing goodness and a goodness and avoiding evil. God is good and rewards with good things. There is no reference here to God saving, and here the focal person is the God fearer, someone who fears God. The third segment, the challenges are to the tzaddik, the righteous. And there are three references to the tzaddik. And so the tzaddik is the, is the focal person. And God saves. There are references to ver, the verb, verbs for God saving. Okay? So you can get a sense that this is a well thought out piece of literature. Okay? And, um, you'll see how not only the themes, but the language reflects that. It's amazing. Uh, this is one of those psalms that people have said, oh, it's three different voices speaking. No, because one of the points we're going to make, and I would say Rabbi Siegel does as well, there's too much interplay of words that you can see consciously being chosen to connect one to the other. So it's one author. Uh, making basically one basic message, but three different versions or expressions of it with different nuances in each segment. That's what's so amazing about it. Okay? And you'll see the the words God uses. Okay. Now, the first verse. The David b'shanato et ta'amo lifnei abimelech v'yigarshehu v'yelach. Okay? So this is a... Psalm to David, who changed, it literally means changed his reasoning. Okay, and it said, well, you'll look at the translation in a minute. Ta'am here, not taste. That's a misinterpret, misstatement. It's not taste. Ta'am can mean your thought process. Okay, I checked it. All right. I mean, I went to my good old Curler Baumgartner. He's very, that's another thing, and he refers specifically <clears throat> to this psalm, okay, as an example. All right, Rick. <clears throat> Hi, so I'm glad you brought it up. I knew you would. So, Tom, to me, it's also accents, and for the Tame uh, from the Torah, yeah. and uh, uh, I tell the kids it means taste, it means flavor, it means accent. And uh, I was happy to to see this here, and it's in the middle, also verse nine, ta'amu, and there it's translated here in this um, art scroll uh, version. There it's con- uh, uh, translated as contemplate, ta'amu or u, contemplate and see in verse nine. Yeah, that's cool. So, right. Give it, I, give I, it I, thought. I, yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. so I was happy to see that. Um, it was mentioned twice, so we'll the get top to line isn't just a throwaway. The top line is connected to the middle, that's I think. Right. So. Good. Yes, that's an example. Right. Very good. Okay. Cool. Yes. All right, Vered. <clears throat> so the first pasuk, the word tamo, can be also translated as his behavior or his nature because they're talking here 
about the time that David acted weirdly, not to say like crazy. Yes. And this is an incident that did not happen in front of Avimelech, because Avimelech is maybe a collective name for kings at that time. It was um, a specific king here, which his name, if I recall correctly, was Achish. Achish, that's correct. Yes. Okay. So this talks about this incident in which David ran away from King Saul and he came to this area and he pretended Mm -hmm. or acted as a Meshuge a little bit and he was chasing. We all got to. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Okay. And he chased him and he left. Yes. So this is maybe the Koteret, like the headline, not I how to say the the top frame that right. gives us right. the place and the time when this happens. Right. So the question that is all correct. All right. So here it says he feigned lack of reason. In other words, he pretended to be Mishoga. That's what it says here. Okay. And if you read it, he was wild. And when they when they go to the king and report it to the king, he says, "I don't know. This guy's really wild. He doesn't formally kick him out. He leaves. All right. It's presumed that they were going to kick him out because they didn't like him being there. All right. So I had hands of Bert, okay, and then Leon. Uh, just briefly, uh, if you go to Safari and look at the text of the Psalm, you can click on a button and see like five or six different translations. Yes, right. Or however many it is. Right. But in this instance, the notion of him going cuckoo, pretending, the point is, Lishanot means to change. So it changed his, he he changed his character, to use the word that the Barad used, his, his, how he appeared to operate. Okay. And he did it intentionally because he was. I don't know. It doesn't say that. That happens to be, by the way, he runs to the Philistines a second time later on and stays there for a while, actually. Right. Right. But this is an instance when it, it will give you the verse in just a second. <clears throat> um, it's, a, it's a Shmuel Allah, 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 11 to 22, 1. Uh, verse chapter 22, verse 1. So it's first Shmuel, Shmuel Aleph 21. And you can read it there. He was there a brief period of time. He ran away from Saul. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, and he just, but so the question is, why this coterrit? What does it have to do with anything that's in this song? <laughs> Okay, Leon, you had your hand up before. Did you want to deal yeah, with that? Yeah, and uh, I just want to mention, I looked it up in the dictionary in Brown, Driver, and Briggs and in other things that Safaria has. And the judgment is a part of the definition of uh, ta'am. And you can see that in some <laughs> phrases that we use. Mm. And, uh, you know, he chose wisely. Uh, you know, you can make those kind of uh, even today. Yeah. Uh, but why did he choose this exactly for what you said? 
what would what situation was worse than being chased by your own king and then chased by his enemies at the right. same time right 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 yeah but but and having to play the idiot to get out of it what does that have to do with the psalm because david is the downtrodden he's the one that's being uh, persecuted he no? was no I mean, they didn't. They wouldn't, he he left. Look, if you read read the read the shul, they, they are they are, they say the guy's weird. Let's get rid of him. That's all. He acted. He hid his identity. Way, you know, he acted in a way that some that they said. Why is he here? Is he's disturbing everybody? That's what they say. He brought it on himself. So, I have a different thought. Okay, okay if I may. Be so bold. Okay. I think this has to do with one of the key lines in the middle segment. Turn away from evil, seek goodness, seek peace, and pursue it. He ran away evil. He recognized the Philistines are basically evil. They were the enemy of, of Israel. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading it now. This, So in other words, the Koteret, this introduction, is a midrash. It's a it's a, a midrash in the Bible itself. And what they're doing is they're trying to associate David with the psalm in the following way. He recognized that Philistines, from the perspective of B'nai Israel, are evil. He shouldn't be here. And he left to pursue peace. What was the peace he was pursuing? And he actually acted on his relationship with Saul. He will have moments. If you read Sefer Shmuel, there were two moments when he could have killed him, when others were urging him to kill him, because Saul could go crazy. Saul was, I think, bipolar. Okay, I mean, he goes this way, and then he goes this way. He goes this way, then he goes this way. And so when he was in his crazy state, he tried to kill. Remember, he threw a spear at him, you know, while he was playing music. I mean, so anyhow, David committed himself to not harming Saul, even when he had the opportunity to do so. And that was the piece that this is. So I think my reading of it is that that psalm was the that 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 line in the psalm was the reason why the 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 somebody the redactor or or the author chose the Kotera. That's my interpretation. Okay, take it or leave it. Tybel. Um, I just want to make sure I understand the word Kotera. It what it's, it is. That's a heading. A heading. Got it. Okay. Okay. All right. Like a keter is a crown, right? Yeah. Keter yes, is a it's crown. Like a keter. Yeah. Oh, like, like a I keter it, that you put on on the head, right? A crown. Is it so related like the top? Is yeah. it related to pillar? Too? No. no keter. No. Crown. It's the crown on top of the the body. Okay. Any observations or comments on my suggestion? No? Okay, good. Let's go on. Uh, all right. Now he begins. 
Avarcha, now so the author is writing this. Avarcha et Adonai, behold, this is now verse one. Verse two is the verse one of the acrostic, right? Got it? Okay. Yes. Avarcha et Adonai, behold, et tamid tihilatobafi. I will bless God at all times. His, the praise of him is always in my mouth. All right? So he's he's saying he personally constantly demonstrates his commitment, his, his praise of God, his blessing of God. All right? Now, does that sound weird that he's constantly blessing God? Mike? Yeah. It sounds weird only in the sense that it says the thief. If it had said in his heart, I, I could understand it, but this makes it sound like he's walking around saying it out loud all the time. He, well, he does say it out loud. Yes. That, Bible, your hand is up. I think that um, would be weird. Yes, sorry. Yes, I it, but, but I'm focusing on the change in voice. It goes from third person to first person. Yeah. So how do we know who the I is? Oh, the I is the author. He's he's the one who speaks throughout. But you don't think the I is meant to be David? What Dave, David yeah. was saying to himself when he... I don't... I, mean, I don't, I don't understand. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I don't uh, see David as the author of all the Psalms. No, I don't. No. And there's things in here. You'll Let's go through it. You'll see. Where, where did David go around praising God all the time? Well, he was an advocate for faith in God, but he did a lot of things that were contrary to what God wanted him to do. He did a lot. He fouled up a lot. And he, he ate, he goes into a, a, a local shrine, a local temple where there was a pre, priests are officiating. And he grabs, he says, I want to take the, the showbread, the lechem apanim. That's part of the accoutrements in the temple. And he fed it to his troops. Okay, there he is that they're hungry. All right, that's nice. He did it. But the fact is that that bread was specifically for the priests. It was sacred bread. Not every, it wasn't meant for everybody. And other things. The guy was an adulterer. The guy was a murderer. Right? I mean, so I can't, that when I read these things, I can't say that uh, that this is a man who's, if you read what it says here, this is a guy who's totally devoted to God. I mean, act in terms of real things, all right? So that's why I, I'm, I'm suggesting that I don't think David was the author. This doesn't say that he wrote it. It could say it was de- dedicated to David because he did a good thing. He kept Saul alive. Doesn't necessarily mean he wrote it, Okay. All right. Um, there's another hand. Oh, I have a hand. I just was going to say, when you say adulterer, murderer, and I would put right up there, and he was really mean to Michal. Yes, that's right. Agree. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yes. All right, Bert. I was just going to say that maybe the way he praised God was not to praise God directly, but that God was in how he spoke. That how he spoke and related to other people was godly. Now I read that. Let's read on and see if that's if that fits. Okay, let's read on. All right, um, but I, I want to make a point here. This is a foreshadowing 
of a rabbinic principle. Okay? According to Chazal, Chachamenu Zichronam Libracha, our sages of blessed memory, how many blessings is a Jew supposed to say every day? 100. Bingo! So you're saying blessings all the time, right? Every time you have a glass of water, you go to the bathroom, you have a piece of fruit, right? You see this, you see that, all these wonders in the world. You're supposed to be blessing God all the time. So it's not off the wall here. It's not crazy. It means this is a guy who's, who's de- devoted his life to the service of God and the praise of God. Okay, and and uh, you know, and it's an idyllic look. It's a, it's an idealistic image of a person, but I think there's a message that this is that the psalm is trying to make. Okay, well, let's wait and see how it all plays out, Rick. So, um, if it wasn't written by David, it was written by uh, uh, priestly scribes a generation or two later. You think, or I, I when? It's, I, I mean, there are psalms that are written after they return from the Babylonian exile. Uh-huh. Al-Naharot Bavel, Sham Yashavnu Gambachinu, right? On the rivers of Babylon, there we sat, right? Writing psalms, uh-huh, okay. Yeah, I mean, so that, that, was, that psalm, we can say, was written after their return, right? There are psalms okay. that talk about the rebuilding of Jerusalem. That didn't happen until after they came back. And so there are many. So I have a feeling, based upon a, a statement that will pop up later on, let's put it this way. At one point in reading this, I thought that maybe this is the was from the middle of the 8th century. Because there's a statement in here, I'm not going to give it away right now, where a prophet who's, whom we know we we know when he lived. He lived in the middle of the eighth century. Says something very similar, and so it led me to think maybe this was written around the time of this prophet, which is of course two hundred two centuries after David died. On the other hand, later on, there's a statement that is made that reminds me of Deuteronomy, and so it's possible that this psalm was written at some point around the year 600. Okay, so I mean, you've got to look at the language, you've got to look at the ideas, and then you can get a sense and put it together when these things could have been written. But this is a, the psalm though, you'll, let's let's play it out, okay, then see what you think. All right, so he's, he, so praising God is, is his, his, that's his thing. All right, so now let's stop for a second. <clears throat> All right, so I mentioned that the the psalm is framed by an introductory line with David, and the, the last line, Poder and I, at, um, hold on, let me get this. Nefesh Abadab, Shmu Okay, God uh, redeems the souls of his servants, and they are never held to be guilty. And we'll explain why that's, that is there. So the, so those are the addition, additional verses. So now when we start, that's what I said before, the, uh, the, the structure 
the 21 verse structure begins here. Now, all right. So three segments, seven verses each. All right. So, and we've seen before that each segment has its own sub theme. Okay. All right. So that, and we'll see again in greater detail as we read it. All right. The author asserts his commitment to praising God in this segment. All right. And what's interesting here is you can see the zeal of this, of this writer. Because in each segment, starting with this one, this segment, the first four verses use God's name, refer to God. In the second segment, the first four verses and the last two verses refer to God. In the third segment, the first five verses refer to God. So you added up there are 15 references to the name of God, to Yudhe 15 times. That's a lot. Remember, we saw in in verse in Psalm twenty nine there were eighteen. But this, this isn't far behind, okay? And it's all coming out of the mouth, if you will, of this author. So this is a guy who's really heavy into praising God consistently, okay? And and it's his thing, all right. And there's a reason. I mean, again, that's the message. That's part of that's part of the message of the psalm, which we'll work on as we, you know, go into it more deeply. Okay? Now, um, so what they're saying is so basically in so saying this, he's saying God is this tremendously powerful force. And you need to somehow relate to this force. He'll get to that in a minute. And you not only have to have faith in God. But you have to proactively engage with God. And at a certain point, we're going to see there's a sense, you can see a sense of partnership here later on. All right. Which, of course, is, is typical of the Bible, right? If you are in a covenantal relationship, there is an element of partnership here. You do things for each other. Okay. And the, the, the human here, is being de- is going to be depicted in that way as we will see. All right. Now, Baronai <clears throat> verse three. Baronai titalal nafshi yishmu anavim bismachu. The Lord in my soul takes you know he the Lord in the Lord will my soul take pride. Right. I will praise God in my soul. Let let the lowly hear and rejoice. Okay. Because I'm going to express this, okay? And we, I want the lowly. Now, here we go. The anabim, the, the, the downtrodden, right? These people have got to hear what I'm saying, all right? Now, again, he's expressing outwardly what he feels in his neshama. So this is a deep-seated feeling. And he, yes, he is totally out, out in front with it, all right? And so these people who are, who live an unhappy a life who face seemingly insurmountable odds against them, as you're suggesting here is that once they hear the author's expressions of his faith in God, they will rejoice because he will give them hope. It says they will rejoice. Okay. 
they will be touched by his message. And and so, again, this is a group that is suffering, and the author is trying to give them a, a medicine, if you will, a spiritual medicine to help them overcome their suffering. And later on, we will see that it's the same thing with Sadiqim, with the righteous, because they're the other group that suffers. All right, so let's see. Barbara, Vered, and Leon. Well, maybe that's the reason in the second verse that, that praise of him is ever in my mouth, because he's going around and talking to people, telling the lowly that, that they should yeah. rejoice. Exactly. So maybe that's the reason that it's always in his mouth. Maybe he really is spouting about the Lord a lot to, to yeah. everyone. Yes. Good. Exactly. That is correct. Vered. Um, I have a, a problem with translating the word anavim because in Hebrew, the word anavim means humble people. Yes. People who are low key people, not necessarily their neighbor, their miskinim, their, but they're, they're humble, you know, they're, they're simple, they're humble. And that is a very important virtual, you know, people sometimes choose to be like this and it doesn't show weakness being like this. But because that they are low key and now they are going to hear that, you know, we're praising God. So they are, they're happy about it. I'd like to translate it this way. All right. But understand later on the word ani, ayin nun yud will be used as a parallel to anav. That doesn't contradict it. No, but it means poor, right? Ani means poor. So and we're trying to figure out here. That's why they're translating it as lowly. Clearly, what, what we seem to feed, what we're hearing here is these are people who are suffering. That's why he's doing it. So, yes, Anav, I agree. That's why I said before, Vaish Moshe Anav, right? It's right. a, a Mila, right? It's a Mila, as they say in Yiddish. That's a, a, a wonderful uh, a, a attribute. That Moses has, but it has other meanings, right? And an ani who is poor doesn't choose to be poor. And the word ani is going to pop up. You'll see in a minute. That's I know, what, I know this deep sound, but but that's you know, why, it's it's that's because why. it's it's because you know God saved him from you know then on pasuke he says. I I seeked God, I asked something from God, and he replied, he anani, he answered to me. Oh, no, no, this is not anani. The word ani appears, not anani. Anani means God answered me. I'm that's, saying that's ani true. is there. Not the anani, answer me. No, no, no. Verse 7 has ani, ze ani. Verse 7, Vera. Verse 7. Yeah, but I'm not there. Oh, but, Why is this guy happy? Because God, you know, redeemed him and, and no, no, saved no. him. It's all part of the same piece. That's the point. But, Remember, in Hebrew, of especially in biblical times, 
a Vav and a Yud can flip. The Imahut Kriya were very flexible. That's true. So we don't have to, so we should not be locked into one narrow understanding of the word Anav. I've never seen the ver- word Anavim here. All right. I don't, I'm not, I mean, I didn't check it up. I should have looked in concordance how often that's used. Anav is used occasionally, but I'm sure it's not a very widely used word either. Ani is all over the place, of course. So I'm, I'm just trying to say you have to have what you say about the word Anavim here has to apply to the word Ani later on, because that is the focal point of this part of the psalm. He's dealing with these people. Okay, that's why these two, both JPS and Benji Siegel, are saying lowly. These are people who are in a lowly condition. What that means is not clear, but clearly it is in a condition that the author of the psalm wants to elevate the people out of. That's true. So anav, a person is anav, that's a, that's a good thing. So this is an anav that is not a good thing. And that's the context. Well, I disagree, but let's go on. Okay. Remember what Rashi says. Look at the context, right? I am, Rabbi, I do. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Leon. You gave me a good introduction because I'm going to quote Rashi. (laughs) Uh, And Rashi says, I boast, praise myself that I have a patron like God. May the humble hear the wonders he did for me. Through my praise, let them rejoice. Yes. So I thought that was was the most beautiful translation I've seen. It uses humble, right? That's right. And now you supported you supported uh, not me. I know, <laughs> but we are not uh, Rabbi. We are not uh, fighting here. I think I know. I know. It, it, not, I think I'm it's not very fighting, nice. sir. I'm not fighting. <laughs> I saw you uh, had a big smile. I, I, I would like to be able to have different opinions, not mine, but you know, to have a discussion here. I agree. Yeah, and I did look up an enough uh, in Brown Driver again. I'm sorry I used the old one, but uh, it, it, it is not very often used. You're right, and I, you know the plural. The plural is not. Yeah. Well, I that that's something we could find in the concordance too. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. I I admit I did not look at that. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Okay. Now moving on. So. Um, so now his words now were in verse four. He's now going to continue. Okay. So he says, God You know that line. Yes. Yes. Right? That's Torah service. And there are going to be some other lines here you're going to be it'll yes. heard them in the liturgy, right? So this is a popular psalm with liturgists. Yes. Okay, so God I mean, you know. Declare here it's very interesting because the JPS says, Exalt the Lord and extol his name. And Benji reverses it, extol the Lord and exalt his name. And Benji's clearly right because uh Godlu means it to it it is extreme praise. It means declare God's greatness. 
right? That's that's extolling. Exalting is neromama. You raise it up and look up look up the word exalt with an uh, with uh, with a you know it means to raise up. Look up the word extol. It means to be profuse with praise. Okay, so I don't know how the JPS allowed that to happen. Maybe it's a typo. I mean, I pulled this out of Sepharia. All right, my the JPS that I have here. So maybe there was some confusion there because in the the English here is uh, you know is is correct extol and then exalt. It's correct. All right. So now what he's saying is, so he's inviting the the Anavim to join in praising God, right? Gadlu Adonai Iti, Unaromama, right? We, we. So this is the point. He's saying you have to actively express the faith, put it in your mouth, talk it, right? That will implant the faith deeper, more deeply in you, and you will be able to use it as a means to overcome the challenges that you face. All right. And he's urging them, come on, join me, join me, be proactive. Don't just sit there quietly and, 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 you know, uh, mull around in your, in your, in your depression. Okay. Be active. Work. Work on it. Get it out. All right. Tybal. Um, I'm using the 1917 JPS, and it has the it, it uses magnify instead of exalt, but it has magnify, and then it has extol. Yeah, that's good. Oh, extol in the second one. Yes. Well, no, extol means to exalt, to make high. Wow. I said the, um, that. I'm sorry. I said the wrong. Word it has magnify first and then it has exalt. Ah, that's correct. Okay. And the 1917. That's the old one, right? That's correct. Yeah. All right. Okay. So I think what he's saying is, if you say it, it'll penetrate your soul, right? It's like singing in shul, right? I would offer that when you when you sing with the congregation. And you you learn melodies and you you join in. I mean, even if you don't understand the words, but that experience can make a profound impact on your spirituality. I guarantee you, there are a lot of people who sit in shul and sing the words in the liturgy, and they'll close their eyes or they'll you know you'll see they'll sway and they really get into it. That's why they come to shul and they get the sense that something special is happening, something spiritual is happening. And I think that's what he's trying to express here. Sing it, guys. Sing it. Get it out there. Join with me. And together we will elevate the name. We will extol and exalt God. Okay? All right, Rick. Uh, hi. I just I just have to remark that... Um... So these are the six words that we say when we're leaving the ark. We have the Torah. The leader has the Torah in his hands, or his or her hands. And yeah. it's it's um, E.T. first with me, and then we'll do it all together. So it's like, yeah, I'm taking the Torah for all of us. Let's read it all together. It's, it's just great stuff. I'm going to bring it up to the kids on Thursday. 
um, because we we have them say it every time we're practicing the Torah service, and um, well, we're elevating, we, we're encouraging them to sing all of that, right. all of that. Yes, exactly. And we Great will stuff. we will remember Mo, We will elevate his name, hold it up as something of profound significance, right? And again, uh, that's what he's doing. It, this fits right in with the overdose of, of Hashem in each of the segments here, right? Boom, 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 right? In all these lines, God, 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 Hashem, Hashem, Hashem. That's the whole point, okay? That's the whole point. All right, moving on. Now this is getting now we're going to get some very interesting use of language. Darashti et Adonai ve Anani Mikol Mugurotai Hitsilani. Okay. I sought God uh and he answered me. Notice what it says. I sought God or I seek God, depending on a pastor. Darashti is past tense. I sought out God. And he answered me. And then he saved me from all of these terrors, all of these threats in my life. Important here. That's the whole point he's trying to get across. I sought out God. And it rhymes too. And the next one rhymes. Yes. Right. Oh, yes. Anami and Hitsilani. Good. Good. I like that. Very good. Right. Well, it's poetry. And the next one, Naharu and Yechparu. Yes, that's right. Very good. We're going to get, we'll get to that. Right. Okay. So, I mean, this is, this is important, right? I think what this is saying is God, he's saying God, you could argue. I, I see your hand, Bert. Let me just finish the thought. Okay. You can make the case that, you know, if you not, God should be reaching out to us all the time. Right. Okay. I mean, there are people who would say God does, but we don't respond. But what he's saying here is even more extreme. Don't wait for God. Don't wait. God's busy, right? He's got a whole universe to worry about. But he's willing to help you if you reach out to him. Initiate, okay? We, you are, uh, it goes back to this notion of partnership, all right? You can do it. Remember that line from the movie? You can do it. That was Waterboy at the end of the movie. Okay. And so he says, you can do it. All right. So that's the point here. Okay. All right. Now, just another thing to keep in mind. I, this, I'm getting technical on you now. The word Hitsilani, right? Mm-hmm. He saves me or he saved me. And that's in verse five. In verse seven, it's Hoshio, he saved him, he redeemed him. Verse 7, Vayichaltzein, he liberates them. That was verse 7 and verse 8. 5, 7, and 8, these three verbs of saving in one form or another are part of the message in this segment. And we will see that later on, it, this, these kinds of verbs in part three are going to pop up again. And there are three uses of the verbs. So the, these verbs three times in segment one, 
three times in segment three, nothing in the middle one. And both one and three are addressed to people who are challenged. Whereas you'll see there's a whole different tone to the middle one. However, you will also see that there is connectedness between these segments and what's in that point and what's in the middle one. Okay. And this word, Darashti Yad Adonai, I sought out God, is part of that equation. I'll get to that in a little bit. All right. So structure, there, there is clearly the, the author has in mind using structure and words to create an impact. And it runs throughout the entire psalm. That's, that's, that's the amazing artwork that's going on here. The artistry of the psalmist. All right. So, um, Bert and Tybel. I was struck by the seeking out God piece, which I find really fascinating that we don't, that, that God is there, but we don't see God unless we actively seek out God, which, uh, I know it's expressed elsewhere, Darashti. At that and I, uh, in other places. And, uh, the translation you have is freed me from all my terrors. I've seen other translations that say freed me from all my fears. Oh, thank it's, it's, it strikes me that the answer that God is giving here is to free from fear. And I think of Nachman of Bratzlov and it's saying the world is a narrow bridge and the important thing is not to be afraid. Uh, good. That, that, yeah. Yeah. That, that being freed from fears is really the beginning of everything. And that God is not going to change us necessarily or will maybe cure us from disease, et cetera, but freeing us from fears, letting it be, being able to cope with it, that that is really important. All we have to fear is fear itself. <laughs> but we're supposed to fear God, but that's a different... That's, that's another... It's here. That's coming up. That's coming up. This, this guy's got all the bases covered. All right, Tybal. So, yeah, my Hebrew... Yeah, my Hebrew is limited. In verse 5, where it's Darashti, is, is that the only Hebrew choice for seeking... Or are there other choices? I see Verit answering already because then to me it becomes so much more powerful because what do we do with all this? We have a darshan, we, a darshan, there's dershuni, that famous dershuni quotation from maybe Isaiah, may not be Isaiah, but, but there's dershuni, there's midrash. Yes, of course. Oh, darash, right, darash, here you gotta keep in mind the the word the verb darash is used in the Bible when you want to go uh, see uh, the the Kohen to find out something that he can tell you by using his uh Urimbatumim, which is his his dice so to speak or the 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 the, the jewel the gems in his apod in his in his breastplate in other words it's like an oracle. You could so that's one use, but it's seeking God. In other words, it's seeking seeking out from God information or um, comfort or strength. 
or whatever. So it's not surprising that he's using this, right? Yes, it can also mean Midrash, right? Where you're seeking out, you're delving deeply into, into a text. You can be Doresh, you can demand something that's a verb that has a lot of nuances to it. Right, but here it's clear that he he sought out God, right, one way or another. It could have been through his own prayer. It could have been through a priestly ritual. He doesn't say. I would say that he made an effort to concentrate his faith, his his consciousness. It was more of a spiritual form of reaching out. But I don't know. I, I mean. That, but that, but the rush, as you hear, has very many nuances to it. Okay, Varid. Um, I'd like to comment about those three words, three verbs. Hitzilani, Hoshio, and Vayechalzem. Yes. Which I see in it that it doesn't, all those praising, it doesn't, pretend to be only to one person, first person, is just to me, Ani, and it's to him, and it's to them. Right. So the power of God is not concentrating just Ani, Darashti, Vanani, and he replied, but he also did it to him, and he also did it to them. And Okay, and and also the usage of the language; those verbs can, you know, be kind of synonym, but it's beautifully put together, and it's a very rich language. Yes, good, excellent. That's exactly the point. That's what he's trying to get across, right? It's not just do this. I'm telling you, do this, but you're going to get the same response, all of you. Yes, it's he, it's he and them and I. Exactly. Right. Good. Yeah. All right. Anybody else? All right. Good. Isn't this great? I mean, this is a great psalm, isn't it? I mean, I, you know, I, I, I exaggerate sometimes. I don't think I'm exaggerating here. This guy really is a great job. All right. Okay. So you've got these verbs. Okay. And, and, but the point is this, what, what you see happening here, when he says this, he says, guys, this is not just a pipe dream I'm saying to you. I sought out God, he answered me, and he saved me from my, my fears. It works. I'm living, I am an aid, I'm a witness to God's responsiveness. Okay, and he's saying, and it's not going to be, it's not just me. That's right, but Vera said is correct. But you get the point here. It's not, I'm a, it really happened. It really, really happened. I guess this is like a guy who, it's a, never mind, it's a bad analogy. It's talking about UFOs. It really happened. It really, really happened. I'm a witness that there are UFOs or whatever they call them today. It really happened, you know. Or whatever, but but this is much more serious. This is much more serious than that. Okay, maybe I don't know. Go ahead, Leon. Okay, uh, it also supports what Rashi said before. See, 
I'm proud of God. I, you know, I exalted him because he did it for me and you can exalt through me, through my deeds. Okay. Similarly here, it is he did it for you. He can do it for you. And I am a witness that it can happen. Yes, exactly. Right. Good. Thank you, Rashi. All right. Now, here's, but here's the, here's something very interesting. The, 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 all right. Now I'll, I'll wait till we get there. I have a very interesting comment on this verse. So this is verse five. Keep that in mind. When we get to verse eight, I'm going to show you something very interesting. All right. Now, um, he beat to Elav, he beat to Elav, Binaharu, Ufnehem, Al Yechparu. All right. So they looked at him. Okay, this is the they. And they are radiant, and their faces were not downcast. Bachpor, right? It means to dig, right? It means to to go down. Um, and the point is their faces, they they their faces were, if you will, the opposite. They were glowing, right? They that's what it says. They were glowing. Nahar, the verb nahar is the verb here. Again, multi-meanings, okay. Um, Nahar means a river, right? Nahar could mean to flow. But here, obviously, it's not water, right? It's not water. So what was, what was going on with their face? It, it, with the explanation here is they were radiant because Nahar can also mean something that is bright, like light. In Aramaic, there's the term, it's a Talmudic term, Sagei Nahor, right? Mm-hmm. Which means Harbei or lots of light. It is a euphemism, a gentle, positive euphemism for a person who is blind. Oh. As he sees a lot of light. Now, the implication may be he sees light we don't see. In other words, it's almost a compliment. This guy can see light that transcends the physical. But the point is, it's a way of saying nicely that a person is blind. Sagei Nahor. But it's the same root, Nun Hei Resh. All right? And and that's, so the point here is, but it, what's interesting is, again, you you can see that, that this whole notion of being downcast, that again, it reaffirms what I was saying before. These are people who, their lives have been such that they are downcast. Suddenly, though, when they engage God, what happens? Their faces light up. They have a sense. I, I mean, you think about it. There is a, ch- a change that takes place that that you can see, and for sure you can. They're gonna they're gonna feel this. I mean, you think about this when you've had a spiritual moment. Okay, I don't know if, how many of you have had spiritual moments, but there is a there is a sense. I mean, when I've had them, and I wish I could have them more frequently. But when I've had them, there has been there has been this sense that something powerful just happened, and 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 you know, you just feel that there's this energy within you that you don't normally have, and it's a wonderful energy, a wonderful sense. I'll share with you something. Some of you may have been in shul years ago, okay, years ago. So. 
sometimes I force myself. I have to when I'm on when I was on the bima, running the service. It's very hard to have kavana. Okay, very hard because you worry about all the details, all kinds of things, and, and things catch your eye and this and that and the other thing. So I made a de- I made a deal with myself and God. I said when I do the Yamida, I'm going to be the la- among the last ones finished. And that was also done so that the people who daven slowly wouldn't feel as if everybody's sort of looking at them and waiting. All right, so I I would daven. Uh, I don't know if you, anybody ever noticed it, but I daven slowly. Same thing when I said the Shema. Well, that you heard. Okay, I I was an adv- I, I learned that. I actually, I never learned this before, but when I taught uh, the Hilchot Kriyat Shema in the, in the, in the Shulchan Aruch, so Kara was very clear. He says the Shema should be recited with a voice. You should hear it. Doesn't mean you got to yell it, but you should hear it. You should say it slowly and enunciate and pronounce each vowel. I mean, each, each syllable, each word, each letter. More so than any other prayer. Interesting. So I, I said, that's great. Okay, so I would do that. And, you know, a lot of people cover their faces or their eyes when they say the, the one line of the Shema. So we developed, you, you know, over time, this notion of, of saying that line slowly. Okay? And it happened, it evolved. It evolved. So we were doing it, and I closed my eyes, and suddenly... Passing before my eyes are the letters of the Shema as I'm saying the words of that, that one line. And <laughs> this amazing thing, the letters were in the shape of the letters that were on the old ark. Torah Hashem Tamima, right? That the ark, the round ark, the big old ark. Yes. The letters that were coming before my eyes were those letters. And I was looking, I was facing the Kahal. I wasn't. I'm sitting in my chair facing the community on the lower beam. We already had the lower beam of it. And I finished. And I said, my God, to myself, I'm saying, what just happened? And I had, I, it was an amazing experience. I mean, it was right there. You could almost touch them. Okay. And I said, well, my mind was, but I said, it's more than that. Something special. I stopped the service and I told everybody about it. They probably thought I was crazy. But I literally stopped the service as soon as we, you know, right after we finished the Shema, I didn't interrupt the Shema. But at a certain point before the Amida, I stopped. I said, you don't understand what just happened to me. And I told him. And I have no, nobody came up to me afterwards and said, Rabbi, that was wonderful. Nobody said anything. So I figured, Psh, they didn't care. I don't know. I didn't care. I had to share it. So I was that guy. I was that guy. I had a moment, and I had to tell the people, I witness, I testify that something very spiritual happened to me just now. Rabbi, that was wonderful. Thank you. Somebody yeah. finally said it. Okay. it. It's true. It's God's truth. And Kodesh Baruch Hu can validate that. Ask him, he'll tell you. I, I wish you would reintroduce a slow reader. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's done. Um, it, it can be more emphasized, I admit. But I look, talk to the rabbi. I'm the emeritus. I love it because I always you say you should do such and such. Talk to the rabbi. That's what everybody used to say when I was rabbi. 
So I'll say it again. All right. Mike. No, I mean, I'll make the comment when we get to the next verse. Okay. All right. Okay. Now, so, so again, they saw it. They were, it was radiant. Okay. So it's, if you will, visual evidence of the power of faith in God. Okay. All right. Now, Ze'ani Kara, now this is what I was talking about before. This Ani, this lowly person, this well, could be poor, but it's an Ani, cried out, God heard, and he redeemed him, delivered him from his troubles. I have a feeling that the Ze'ani was him. Right. He's talking about himself. Mm-hmm. I, I'm this poor guy right over here, Ze'ani, with an ayin, but it could be Ani, this is me. Or the Nalif. Right? It, it, it's beautiful. And God heard, and and he redeemed, he delivered me from my troubles. He He gave me the means of just getting a hold of things, getting a grip on life, finding meaning in life, all right? And guys, I'm the witness. So here is the second use of a saving word, right? Hoshio. Right. Right? Second, this is the second one. First one was Latzil. This is Hoshio, Hoshia, right? And then the third one you'll see in a minute. All right, Mike. Yes, I have a different interpretation. Yes. Uh, we already saw in in uh, paragraph number four. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, number, number five, where he has no trouble in referring to himself as I. He says, I turned to the Lord and he answered yes. me and he saved yeah. me. So yeah. I don't think that he's talking about himself in paragraph seven. I think that all of the, all of these first paragraphs are not just something written, but something that was delivered orally, you know, on the, on the Temple Mount with the, you know, with the, with the people there. He's, he's testifying about God's greatness. He says what God did to me. And then he brings up another person, holds him up to the congregation and says, and, and this happened to him. Good. That could be. Yeah, it could. You're right. It could be. I I can't argue that because it's not clear. You're right. Yeah. I I just I right. I mean, yes. It can go either way. Yeah. Good. Good. All right, Bert. I uh, just say maybe he, maybe he was pointing to himself. No, I'm. I, I, it, it's either or. You know. Yeah. Either or. It's either or. I'm just the thing that led me to think of it was he was speaking about himself is because he's so deeply engaged in this effort, okay? That that, that he really wants them to understand deeply how much he was touched by this experience, because it's from his neshama. But it could I think be. it's more. I think that's more powerful. I'm with your translation, with your, whether the translation is right or it, it's it's just more powerful. You yeah. know, he's saying, like, for example, here's somebody, me. Yeah. Right. Anyway, okay. 
All right, but either way, he's using Mike. Do you want to say something? Yeah, I was just going to add that uh, uh, I think actually it's more powerful that he bring if he brought somebody else up. He said <laughs> these are the things that you have to do. It, it worked for me, and now he's showing them that it works for others as well. Yeah, right. That's good too. Yeah, exactly. Could be right. See this guy over here? You think I'm the only one? Exactly. Ask him. He'll tell you. Right. And ask them also. It's just ask them. Yeah, well, that's, that's the, we'll, get, we'll get there. Right. Exactly. That's right. Very good. All right. Now, now the, this is really interesting. Okay. The, the, the angel of Adonai encamps around those who fear him. And he liberates them, right? He liberates them. So here's the plural that, that Verid was pointing out, right? And this is the whole, it's the whole group. So it's almost as if at that moment, one can imagine, let's go back to Mike's thing. They're in the temple. And suddenly a, a miraculous sense existed that somehow these, all these people that were there, Felt as if they came under divine protection, and and they recognized the truth in what had been witnessed to them, and they felt liberated. They somehow this this group expression of this faith in God emerged out of the process. I mean, you know, it may be that what he's whether it's on the Temple Mount or not, but it may be that he's making an observation that that these people began to do this. Maybe it didn't happen all at once. Maybe this is the result of a collective turn. Maybe he was able to get a group of people to, to buy into his message, and they began to work on it spiritually. And over time, he, they came to the realization that this whole group, it could be 10 people, it could be 20, could be 50, who knows how many, but these, this group of people joined him in having this sense of being redeemed. And these were people who beforehand were downtrodden spiritually, physically, whatever. They were in the dumps. They had no hope. And suddenly they had hope. Their, their outlook on life had changed. Then they were able to find ways to find meaning in, the, in what, what, what could have been a troubled existence. And look, I mean, the point is, you got to realize that this is biblical times. The records talk a lot about what goes on at the upper levels, the other upper echelons of life, right? You don't have private people, you know, writing and saying, teaching these things. They're, they're the silent majority of the masses, right? Silent majority of the masses. You know, about whom we don't hear, except maybe the psalmists, because they're poets, because they they put themselves into situations where they're seeking, you know, expressions or making these kinds of expressions. And people are listening to them and or reading what they write. More often, I think we have to realize a lot of most people were illiterate. That, that's a fact of history. Right, literacy in, in, in great numbers is a re re relatively modern phenomenon. 
and the you know the Israelites. I would say historically, and this is something you you can't prove this, except by looking at the numbers of books. But historically, Jews were known to be much more literate than many of the other peoples who surrounded them. Okay, but again, everybody has the opinion. Therefore, oh, they were all Talmidei Chachamim. They could all read the books. Probably not. They just maybe had a higher percentage of the population who were literate. But we do know that, for example, once the Shulchan Aruch was published, it became a bestseller. It was a book. And and suddenly, Taro becomes the go-to guy for halacha. Prior to him, it may have been the Tor, it may have been Rambam, but they were all in manuscript form, right? Because it was only in the 16th century that the printing press, I mean, what, late late 15th, 1485, something like that. 1480s is when this all began. But basically, it's in the 1500s that published stuff gets, you know, circulated. And suddenly that becomes the source. And so it could be read. Anyhow, the point is, we don't know if this is a real experience, if this is something he would hope to see. So, you know, it's an aspirational rather than a, a realistic expression of, of what was going on with him. This what you know, we could say this is exactly what he wanted to have happen. Maybe it did happen. We don't know. But clearly you have here the sense that there is now sense that these are God-fearers. That's a term. This is the first time we hear this. God-fearer. Now, it's interesting to note, as you saw, that that word is, they are yurei, um, right? Yureav, right? They are yurei Adonai, right? People who, who fear God. Who fear you would have this it's interesting later on you're going to see that Yure Adonai is going to be used in a manner that is similar and close to Darash. Okay? So Yure Adonai and Dorak Dorshe Adonai seem to be terms that are into almost interchangeable. And later on I'll, I'll, when we get to the to the second segment, you'll see it. But for now, well, what we can say is that there is certain there's a parallelism because in both of these instances they are associated with one of the salvation words. So Yerat Adonai can result in salvation, and Drishat Adonai can result in salvation. These 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 two different expressions of establishing a relationship with God, and and salvation verbs are associated with both in this segment. Keep that in mind, because when they get into the second part, you will see how this plays out a little bit more. All right, some questions, and then we're going to have to stop. All right, so let's say Barbara and then Tybal. Wasn't the reason for reading Torah on Monday, Thursday, and Saturday evening because people were ignorant and didn't couldn't read it themselves and uh, Yes. So they read that aloud on those three days so that people would hear Torah during the week? Yes. Or read, be under, be hearing it, but it yes. wasn't really just for hearing it. It was so that they could 
they couldn't read it, so therefore they had to hear it. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. Yes. Sorry. Okay. That that's my. I got to take a pill, but it can wait till we finish. Books on tape. I, that's what I have to do now. I, I got to take a pill. I put it in my cell phone and turn on the alarm. And it goes off. All right. It's a wonderful thing. Modern science. What can I tell you? Yes, Barbara, you're right. Tybal. So is this the word that sometimes gets translated as trembling before God? It could be. Yeah. Well, maybe because it, it because in that, there's one, and I'm trying to think, is it Hare, Is the source Hare. for Haredi, is that trembling we before God? We talked about that. Hared means to, to quake. Yes, that was in the other class. We talked about the earthquake. That's in that's in tomorrow's class, Tybal. We we mentioned that. Yeah, that that the um, the the earth shook. Was it here? Oh yeah, that's right. It was in Psalm twenty nine. That's right. That's it. The mountains shook. That's what it was. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but those were people fear filled with the fear. I mean, the notion of Yerat Adonai. It's often it's often uh, softened. People don't like this notion of fear. Right? They, they they stood in awe of God. You see, it, it's it's sometimes it's it's uh, downplayed a little bit. The fact is, there is the element of fear, because it's it's like God is like a nuclear reactor, huge power that can do amazing things, but can also blow up the world. And so if you deal with it, there's going to be fear on top of all the other emotions you're going to have. But fear is part of the equation. Love and fear are often seen as the polar realities of a relationship with God. Good reason. I mean, especially, you know, when you deal with people of deep faith, there is a sense of fear. I mean, even people who observe and they say, this is something because I have this sense that I have to do it. It's a mitzvah. And there's there's a sense that I am obligated. I have a sense of obligation to do this. And, and does, you know, do you walk around with shaking and quaking all the time? No. But you say that the source of this thing is powerful and has meaning. So I'm going to do these things because... It has made me feel obligated, however you interpret it. There's an element of fear, though, that this is very powerful. Okay, so we have finished, then, the first segment. At this rate, it'll take us three weeks, guys, but we'll see. I'll try to speed it up. But you know what? It's your fault because you have all these wonderful questions and comments, and I don't want to stop. I don't want to tell anybody I can't answer you now. And, and you mentioned that it's good to go slow. What you said? It was, you mentioned that it was good to go slowly. Yeah, yeah, it is. I don't. I'm perfectly happy with that. You know, but and, and as I say, we may be able to extend at some point. I was thinking even maybe after Pesach, we can add a few more opportunities to continue studying if there is a consensus and if people are willing to participate. All right, all right. We'll get to that later. Uh, Tybal, you want to ask a question? No, that was just my comment because I can't do facial expressions on lots of us asking these great questions that I, that I hope as a frequent questioner 
at <laughs> least on occasion, enrich the experience for everybody here. That's all. It's just my my visual commentary. I got it. Thank you. Okay. All right. Anyhow, so um, I'm going to have a little bit more to say about God-fearers. Okay. Um, but we're going to next time we'll move on. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.